0: If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to Psalm 84. For our Old Testament lesson, we're spending the summer in the Psalms, various Psalms. This one is another Psalm of the Sons of Korah. Next week, Howard will be bringing Psalm 91, so maybe this week uh, view that as homework. Maybe read over that Psalm. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Psalm 84, to the choir master, according to the Giddith a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and to swallow a nest for herself or she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help. Father, we need you this morning. As we open your word together as your people, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you shape the longings of our pilgrim hearts? Lord, in this life we go through many trials. Just as we we just sang and just as we read here the Valley of Baca, Lord, this is us in many ways. Would you use this psalm to shape our hearts and the desires that we have as pilgrims in this land? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been homesick? And you're like, I never leave home, so I don't have to be homesick. I remember distinctly a few times when I was growing up feeling homesick, and it is kind of a sick feeling. It's like I want to be back with my parents and my siblings, but I'm far away, and there ain't no going back right now. That leaves this sickness in the pit of your stomach. I think in some senses this psalm begins in this place of homesickness. The writer of the sons of Korah is expressing this kind of homesick desire for the house of God. And this is a very old, a very, very old desire. And for us to rightly understand the psalm, we have to remember our history. When God created man and woman, he placed them in a home. He put them in a temple garden called Eden. There the man and woman enjoyed fellowship with one another. They enjoyed fellowship with God. It's even said that they walked with God in the cool of the day. It's great. There they are, Adam and Eve in the, this first temple, the first priest, and there, there was God, and they were there to, to serve God, but we know the story doesn't end there. No, we, we rebelled. All of us in Adam, we rebelled against God. And so we're expelled from the garden. No more to have direct fellowship, this direct communion with God as Adam and Eve had enjoyed before. Does that mean that God was forever done with His people? No. As a matter of fact, He wasn't done with His people. Grace upon grace. We find God comes to man again he comes to Abraham and promises to give him a land a seed and to, to overwhelm him with blessing forever and this land is to be the place where God rules and reigns his people we know that Abraham didn't realize much of this in his life he had one son at a, at a, as a very old man and he went around roaming the land still living in tents his whole life But the story doesn't even stop there. The whole intent of creation was for God to dwell with his people and be in his place forever. So how will a holy God dwell with a sinful people? Exodus picks up with that story, doesn't it? God's people are down in bondage. There's a Pharaoh who doesn't know the Lord. And puts them in harsh slavery. And then God comes and snatches them out with his strong right hand, his extended arm. God brings his people out of bondage and leads them to Sinai. And there says, Here's how I, a holy God, am going to dwell with you, a sinful people. And if you read the end of Exodus, it's all about the building of what? Do you remember? A tabernacle. God says, this is the place where I'm going to meet with you at this tabernacle. God dwelling with his people later in the life of Israel when they're settled in the land. Solomon, famed son of David, is king and he will build a grand temple made of white marble covered in gold. Josephus said of the second temple, which by the way, the glory of it, so eclipsed the first temple that the people wept when it was completed. So he's saying this of the second temple, that at dawn it looked like a blaze of the sun and its reflection would make you look away, like a blaze on a hill. He's describing it, you can find this quote, he's describing it as looking across the valley when the sun is coming up and he said it hits it and it, it, it's like it, it lights up like fire. It's hard to look at. It's so glorious in its beauty. This is the temple. The temple. The temple. This is the place where the people of God would come to worship. This was to be the place where the presence of God dwells with sinful people on earth day and night. There were sacrifices being made. That was the cost. That was the penalty. For a holy God to dwell with sinful people, something's gotta die. All of that was going on in the temple. This was to be a place of peace for mankind. A house of prayer. For the nations, the outer court was huge. Anyone was allowed in there. There was another inner court. This court was for men. There was a further court beyond that for the priest and then the Holy of Holies, only for the high priest and only one time a year. However, the glory of this temple was never supposed to be an end in and of itself. The psalmist is not longing for a building. He's longing for God himself. The temple was a physical reminder of the presence of God with his people. It It was the place where heaven touched earth. The splendor of the temple was ultimately found not in a building but in a person. The splendor and glory of God was not ever fully encompassed by a building, but by Christ himself. Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. Today we come to a psalm about being homesick for this temple, for the presence of God. The psalmist feels this great pain not being there, and his whole heart is bent towards getting back. I wonder if we feel this toward God. The homesick feeling we have, even if we're at home. Listen, every single one of us in some senses or another feels this lack. We feel this homesickness. We feel like things aren't the way they're supposed to be. We know that. Maybe our relationships aren't going the way they're supposed to go. Maybe our job and our career path has utterly let us down. Maybe our relationships with our peers in school or out of school are utterly crushing us. Maybe there's some expectation in your life that is utterly unresolved. Every single one of us have these kinds of issues going on in our life. In some sense, we experience the reality of the psalmist. Things aren't right and we're on our way somewhere else. That's good. Our hearts are restless. and What are they restless for? What are our hearts restless for? This is the question that this psalm sets out to answer. Again, this week our psalmist gives us the structure. We don't have to look too hard for it, it pronounces a three-time blessing, a whimsical blessing up front, marked by this sense of longing, a resolute blessedness for this trip, and a contented blessing of trust at the end. If you track the psalm, it moves from longing to travel to arrival. Longing to travel, this pilgrim's way that we just saying. to arrival. Verses, verses 1 and 2, this longing for blessing. How lovely is your dwelling place O Lord of hosts. My soul longs yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The, the psalmist is longing for his God. His soul has this long, longing and he's fainting as though for, for thirst. He, he's He's giving us an illustration of what this feels like. It feels like death to not be in the presence of God. Contrast that with the longings of your heart. I did this exercise this week. Think about what your heart truly longs for. Would experiencing the presence of God like this be anywhere near the top of your list? Is this the longing that that dominates your life? The sad reality is we, we tend to misplace this longing and fill ourselves with other things that utterly do not satisfy and in fact leave us more thirsty than before we started. Listen to this quote by Lewis in The Weight of Glory. He's talking about memories and beauty. Quote, these things, the beauty and memory of our past, are good images of what they really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking our hearts of their their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of the flower. We have not found the echo of the tune we have not heard. News from a country we have never yet visited. End quote. These things that we long for will never satisfy to the extent that they are broken, disconnected from the reality of who God is, they will never satisfy. They will never be enough. I think the psalmist is pointing us to right longing in our life. This longing gone wrong, just to summarize this Lewis quote, this longing gone astray is idolatry. What a great definition. Longing gone astray is idolatry. The psalmist is pointing our desires in the right direction. The longing of our hearts is really for the presence of God himself. God has promised to meet with his people in his place, and not being in that place creates longing for the psalmist. A great question that could be asked is the psalmist saying that the temple is the only place that, that God's presence can be found. I love how Calvin addresses this point in his commentary. He says this, the reason why he longed so intensely to have access to the tabernacle to enjoy the living God, not that he, conv- not that he convinced of God as shut up in a narrow place as was the tent in the ark, But he was convinced of the need that he he had of steps by which to rise up to heaven. End quote. Faith needs steps. Of course, the glory of God is spread over the entire earth. We looked at that already in Psalm 8. There is no place where God's glory doesn't exist. Why does he long to go to the temple? Faith needs action. It needs steps. Reading through the psalm, I couldn't help but think of Hebrews talking about Abraham wandering around in tents. But the whole time, what does it say? He was looking for a city whose architect and builder is none other than God himself. We say we believe in God. We say we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do nothing. faith needs action. It needs steps. The answer also isn't that we can walk far enough or do enough to meet with God, but rather that God, because he loved us, condescended to come and meet with us. This is exactly what's going on in the temple, even more so in the person and work of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. John 2, Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is the temple. He is God with us. Jesus came to tabernacle to dwell among us. He knows that we are pilgrims journeying with hearts of longing for him. He continues to give us steps. He gives us means along the way. What are the steps for the Christian in the church? We don't have to make them up. He gives us his word. He gives us His sacraments. He gives us prayer. He gives us the fellowship of the saints. He gives us means. He gives us steps. The earthly temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., yet the glory of God on earth was not diminished but exploded across the globe. The destruction of the temple did not diminish the glory of God on earth. The people of God exploded all around the world. As we read earlier, the the people are the temple. Pilgrims by faith in Christ. First 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, Paul says that the temple, this glory that that the psalmist longed for can be seen among us. What's glorious about us? Can somebody look at us and be like, oh man, the blaze, I can hardly see. They're they're shining so bright, I can't. No, what's so glorious about us is that God has loved us. It's because the gospel has come to bear in our lives. It's because we have seen Christ by faith and he has taken us from death to life and that is glorious. We are the temple, we are the place on earth where God meets with his people. Notice verses 3 and 4, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. This reveal how, reveals how deep this longing goes in the psalmist. He's jealous of the birds. He's thinking about, he's, you can clearly tell he's been there a lot because he's thinking about all the nests he's seen on the temple walls and by the altars. He's like, even this tiny sparrow finds a place. I love that. I think there's more going on here too. The, the psalmist mentions the home of the swallow and, and the house of the living God. I think we're invited to see that even the humblest Creature is welcome to the tender hospitality of the true and living God. How much more if he welcomes the sparrow and and these tiny little birds have their nests and lay their eggs in the courts of the temple, how much more you? How much more are you welcome because of Christ into his presence? Jesus in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather to barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I think he was thinking about Psalm 84. Consider how much you are loved. How welcome you are into the presence of God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. section ends with this wistful and longing blessing. This is interesting because the temple wasn't a place where you just came and lived. The priests would come and go daily and nightly, but they didn't live there. They would have homes. They would have quarters. The psalmist sees the reality behind the temple that we are meant to be with God forever. Forever and ever, with no breaks, no time away. Like... No, we are designed by God from the beginning in the garden for perfect fellowship with Him. Ever singing your praise. I, I think that's a fascinating thing to write. When he, with longing, thinks about going back to the temple, being with the people of God, what he's missing is singing. Listen, when we come together as the people of God, we do so as a congregation, we, we sing together. That's what we do as God's people. Is that a longing of your heart? Do you miss it when you're not present? Man, I miss singing with my church. Again, that's a longing that dominates his heart. He's looking forward to it. This leads to our second blessing, a resolute blessing for this trip. It might be easy as you read across the Psalms to forget that there are actually five books. And each of the books of the psalms have different themes to them. I'm not going to walk through all those themes, but this, is, this psalm today is found in book 3 of the, the Psalter. And book 3 is interesting because it has a darker theme. It has a darker tone. It has psalms that depict the people of God in exile, ripped away from their home and everything they, they knew. Could you imagine? Taken not just from your home, but taken by force to a a foreign land where someone else is telling you what to do and how to live. Would you have a a pretty pronounced longing to go back home? I think you probably would. I would. That's the tone and theme of book three, and that's what... Going on in this Psalm right here in five and six, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Again, we're told of this blessing. This blessing is finding strength in God and in his presence. This is the pilgrimage that's that's going on the way to the temple. Verse 6 says this pilgrim path, though, it's, it's not smooth. It goes through the valley of Baca, dry valley. This seems to be the, the meaning this um, valley of weeping, valley of tears, a way of pain. And in that way of pain, it's, the psalmist does something interesting. It says, they make it a place of springs. So they turn the valley of weeping into a place of springs. It's very interesting. Rather than suffering, putting an end to our journey on the way, pilgrims who suffer on the way actually provide life for those around them. There are two ways that we can view this. It really is weird. This Valley of Baca business suddenly becoming um, full of water and life-giving. The first way that we're invited, I think, to, to think about this is Christ himself. Christ himself went through the valley. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He went into the wilderness to fast on our behalf. Ultimately, He went to the cross in our place, a place of tears. And because He did all that, He accomplished for us salvation. He brought us life through His death. That's one thing that I think we can think, uh, or one way that we can view this part of the psalm. A second way is to see this truth in our own lives. It is usually from the place of heartache and dryness where God uses his people to serve and bless others. First Corinthians 1, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast In his presence, 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. This is us. This is us in our affliction. I know that some of you here today feel like you're in a dry place. A valley of Baca with nothing to offer. First, look to Jesus who walked these valleys before you. Then after looking at Christ, know that in your weakness, God uses weak people to bring blessing and life to others. How many times have you seen hardship in life leading to blessing? This next thing is just off the top of my head and took me all of three minutes. Augustine, out of the desert and a a life centered utterly on himself, read confession sometimes, went on to be this powerful voice for truth, for the gospel. Luther, we reference his depression, severe depression, personal fear. Yet he, he stood between them in front of the most powerful people in Europe and spoke truth, gospel truth to them. Calvin lost a wife. It's terrible, that these parts of his life, it, too painful for him to expound upon. And yet his writings continue to shape the church. Closer to home, I remember growing up with the story of Chuck Colson. Have you ever heard his story? Fascinating. He's one of the movers and shakers in Watergate and he got caught. And he, he was imprisoned. And there he heard the gospel. And his life was utterly changed and thousands and thousands and thousands of people both in prison and out heard the good news of Christ because he went into that valley. Johnny Erickson Tata. Somebody just gave me a, a copy of her old book from the, the 70s and I remembered that story growing up, hearing it when she was 17. She dove into the Chesapeake, breaking her neck, paralyzed from the shoulders down. If that's not being invited into a valley, I don't know what is. But what has happened as a result of that? stream Streams of living water have flowed from this woman. It's been a remarkable reality. Every single one of us in here have stories like this that we can resonate with and know. We know the truth of this in the lives of others and in our own life. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying. He's, he's not saying this pilgrimage or this journey from where he is to the temple is easy. In fact, he's saying it's hard. It's hard. But along the way, through the hardness, God is at work doing greater things. I think that's one good application that we should hold on to, and that is, the Christian life is not easy. And even when you're not on it, it says the, the, the highways to to this place, to this city, to this temple, are in our hearts. Not just physical steps, walking, but the highways, the way there is in hearts. That's us today. It says that they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Saints are continually... Acquiring fresh strength from Zion. God is our strength on the way. From strength to strength. God is our strength as we walk this pilgrim path. This is His good work. So we have this longing um, blessing. We have this blessing of a traveler on the way. And finally, to this blessing of contented trust. It should come as no surprise that to anyone who loves the Psalms that... The end of the pilgrim path, there's a king. So far he's told us where he's going and now he's telling us who he's going to. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, that is, a king. The anointed one, Christ, this is the goal of the pilgrimage that we're on. This is where the pilgrim path leads. Finally, the pilgrim arrives and he, he is able there in God's place to gaze at a king. The theme of the exalted king looms large over the entire psalter. This king is the one chosen to rule and reign and he is worthy of adoration and praise. Next week when you hear of Psalm 91, you'll hear more about living life under this anointed king. For now, it's enough to say that this is the goal and journey of our lives. This is where Christianity takes us. It takes us to a king. One day after the valley, after the journey, after the struggle, we will see him face to face. We will look on the face of the anointed of God, our shield and defender, the ancient of days. We will see him. Having goals changes everything. I don't anymore, but I used to run a lot of races. Some short races, some long races, some on roads, some on trails. Could you imagine running a race and not having an end goal? No chance. Every single race I've ever run, I know I start here, I know the course, and I know where I end, and I know how many miles I'm supposed to go. I can't imagine starting and having no goal, no end for this journey. That's death. That is not the call of the the pilgrim. We have a journey. We have a goal. We're going to be with Christ. The psalmist gives us two sets of analogies to, to teach us the great worth of finally arriving home. And both begin with four. Verse 10, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. One day in the presence of God is better than a thousand spent anywhere else. I would rather have this menial position. It's not talking about the the vaulted position of being a gatekeeper. That's not what he's saying. Literally taking up space in a doorway. I would rather take up space in a doorway than, than be in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be near God than anywhere else. It reminds me, and I wonder if Paul thought about this, when he wrote Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as a rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. One day in the presence of God than a thousand elsewhere. Everything else but Christ is lost. He gives us a second set of analogies to understand the great value of being in the presence of God. Verse 11 For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a sun, light, joy, heat, energy, life giving. By it we live, without it we die. Light breaking in to the dark. God is a shield. He's a protector, He's a soldier, God is a defender. From last Sunday, God is a refuge. And then it talks about these gifts of God. The ESV renders them favor and honor, but they could also be translated grace and glory. God gives grace and glory to pilgrims. I think to all of that, we can just simply say this, pilgrims live under the smile of God. You, pilgrim, live under the smile and pleasure of God Himself. Finally, God withholds no good thing. This is pointing us to heaven. Can you imagine? Nothing good at all withheld from you. Every single good thing given to you freely by God because of Christ. No more tears. No more sickness. No more falling over the handlebars of your bike, cutting your face up. No more fight with the sinful flesh. No more war in our hearts or in our world. No good thing does he withhold. Listen, if you came to church this morning, needing to hear good news, hear it, hear what God is doing for us pilgrims, no good thing does he withhold for those who walk uprightly, literally, with a divided heart. That's the question that is hanging over us today, do we have a divided heart? Throughout. That is the, the pilgrim's sole focus. It's, it's to be in the house of God. He doesn't want to be anywhere else. Every other joy, every other pleasure is a distant second to this one driving factor. He wants to be in the house of God. This should be the goal of each and every one of us. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Finally, the psalmist concludes with a decisive blessing wrapping up his thoughts on arrival. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Remember Jesus' similar blessing in John. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. This is the blessing that we live under today. The certain blessing of Christ. We don't have to wait for it. This is not just something that we get when We make it to heaven. Let the blessing of God encourage you, fellow pilgrim, as we journey to to that great temple city, the presence of God, this longing that we have now for a city whose architect and builder is God himself. Be encouraged on the way, be encouraged in the valley, springs of living water are flowing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't see these things often. We pray again that you would shape the longings of our pilgrim hearts. Lord, that truly you would be our greatest longing, our greatest desire. Thank you so much for your love that allows us to live under your smile. Because of you, Christ, instead of wrath, we get great grace. Would you be at work in our congregation, Lord, to to shape us as pilgrims who long to be with you in your presence forever? And on the way in these valleys of Baca, tears and weeping, would you shape us such that rivers of living water would flow from us and bless us? Those around us, we pray it in Christ's name, amen.